right, good morning, church. It's a lot more folks in here this week than last week. <laughs> all right, so good to see all of you and all of you online as well. I hope you're, uh, hope you're able to connect with us this morning in one way or the other. This morning we're going to talk about how in a world that's increasingly polarizing, right? I mean, I, I tell you, just, it's, it's not just politics, it's everything. We're kind of at each other's throats. How can we find some common ground and how can we really start to find respect for one another? So we're going to discuss that this morning. But before we do, I want to uh, invite you to participate in a few things we have going on here at Faith this morning. One, again, if you're new, make sure you make you grab a guest bag if you're in person or online. Let us know. We will give you a free ebook. I always want to mention that. We want to make sure you are welcomed here each and every single week. Uh, also, if you have children, we'd love for you to check them into our Faith Kids Experience downstairs. It's an awesome time. They always enjoy it uh, each and every week. I hear such good things from the teachers and the kids in that program. If you're online, we have a online kids experience that mirrors our in-person. So if you miss a week, you could do it there. Uh, so make sure you're taking advantage of that. There's a link on our Facebook page each and every week. Just uh, scroll past this post if you're on Facebook and you can find that. If you're not, you can visit it later and access it anytime during the week for you and your family to work through some awesome Jesus Center content. This month, they're talking about self-control. Anybody have an issue with self-control? Man, uh, yeah, me, right? My weight indicates that I have an issue with self-control sometimes. So uh, they're working through that. So you can work through it together as a family during the week with that online kids experience and the take-homes that we provide your kids uh, here as um, in person. So make sure you're taking advantage of that. Also, let's see some other things that's happened this past, uh, shoot, this few weeks uh, to go, and this week, and then yesterday, we had some awesome stuff happening. One is Junction Cafe opened up yesterday, right, for the first time. Woo-hoo, finally, it only took like three years, right? We're finally there, uh, but it was great. It was freezing, uh, but it was great. I mean, very, very literally freezing. I think, uh, uh, we, matter of fact, it was a funny story. My son and I were helping get stuff set up that yesterday morning at six. It was still dark outside. The wind was blazing. It was just blowing through here like a gale. And we have signs set up for the cafe. So if you come each Saturday from seven to 11, you'll see the signs that kind of direct you in to the cafe. Well, one of them has arrows on it. And uh, I forgot that it had arrows on it. And so uh, it was dark, it was windy, it was cold. And I was not interested in being outside more than two seconds. And so we ran out and uh, helped set up the signs and we set it up. And then I looked about about 10 o'clock. I was like, oh, there's an arrow pointing across the street. So I don't know if our neighbor got any uh, cafe visitors from from that time, but uh, we got out and fixed it. But at any rate, we encourage you to come and hang out with us each and every Saturday. It was awesome to be able to meet some people, uh, some people I've never even met. I've been in here six years and I met three people I'd never met in Powell. (laughs) So that's exactly what this cafe is for. It was awesome uh, to be able to do that. And we're going to be open each Saturday, 7 to 11 each week. And so make sure you're coming, make sure you're inviting others in, sit, sit around, have a cup of coffee, coffee together, get a latte. Uh, We worked on those yesterday and they turned out really good, I thought. So uh, make sure you're taking advantage of that and sharing that experience. Uh, Also, we got a few things happening past that. Believer's Basic Training is today, next week, and the week after. So weather may have prevented you from coming, but if you were signed up for this, just let me know uh, and and you can hang out after. It's going to take 45 minutes today and then about the same next week and the week after that. Uh, If you're not able to make it today, maybe you're online and you had some issues come up and you were already signed up, make sure that you just let me know and I will get you the information this week about how to make that up. And uh, as we get to find out more about each other, about the church, about what we believe, how we operate, and how it all kind of comes together. So if you're signed up, we'll be doing it immediately after the experience this morning in the cafe, hanging out in a warmer space and uh, drilling into some fun stuff after. So make sure you stay for that. Also, Sunday night, 6 p.m., January 30th is our annual business meeting. All right, it's so much fun. We can only do it once a year. So we're going to do it that night at 6 p.m. Make sure you come out as we talk about 2022 and the budget and all the fun things we have happening and looking forward to for that. So I want you to make sure you can be a part of that if you can. And then Three more things. <laughs> we got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, one and, and two here is the daily devotional that we have for the women. They have a, a, an online app that they're using to work through. So if you're a lady and want to be a part of that uh, experience, let us know. Email us faithchurchvt at gmail.com. We will get you signed up, send you an inv- invitation. You can go through a daily devotional experience. And there's a weekly gathering Wednesdays at 6 downstairs uh, each and every week. And they have had a couple of, uh, of those and seems to have gone really, really well. So I'm excited about that. 
The men's gathering is going to kick back up this Wednesday, uh, all right, at 6 p.m. as well. So if you're here, you can come as a couple, which would be great. So one of you can go downstairs, one up, and then you can talk about what you did after and and, uh, make it a family affair. So we'll be back here Wednesday, 6 p.m. The very last thing i got to mention, I don't have a note for, so I might mess this up. Uh, Night to Shine is an annual event that the community puts on, particularly in Bennington, uh, for our um, special needs uh, people in our area. We love to bless them, and, and it's a great event to be able to honor them and celebrate them. And so each and every year, there, there has been in the past a, a giant, uh, essentially like a prom night. But this year, they're doing something different, which I think is going to be really fun. It's going to be a parade, right? So I'm trying to get my dates right. It's February 12th, right? Okay, two to four. All right, this is all from memory. I'm trying to recall the flyer I saw. 2 to 4 p.m., February 12th. What we're looking for is for people to line the street. And it's on Main Street, correct? In Bennington. So come out 2 to 4. Uh, if you, uh, is there a registration, Jen? All right, so if you would like to sign up, please look at our Facebook page or see Jen uh, Boucher before you leave here today. She'll give you more info uh, or look at Mission City's page. Uh, Mission City Church in Bennington is helping run this event, so they can help point you in the right direction as well as we uh, have a special parade. I'm super excited about that. So February 12th, hope the weather's going to be good, (laughs) but bundle up if necessary and have a great time doing that that Saturday, all right? Awesome. Good. That's it. I think that's all the events we got to go through. I just make sure I got all of them in. It's a lot to, lot to process. So if you ever miss anything, if you're like, man, I just kind of tuned you out after you said cafe, all right, make sure you know we have a weekly update that goes out via email and on Facebook uh, and Instagram as well, I believe. So make sure you're a part of that so you can catch up for all the things that you may tune out on on a Sunday morning, and uh, it'll help keep you posted during the week as well, all right? Last thing we all want to cover each and every week is giving. So if you are first in need, let us know, right? Maybe you uh, have a heat issue. Maybe your pipes burst. Maybe who knows what happened in your life. This, this can be a, the most hectic time of year in many ways uh, due to our weather conditions. So make sure you let us know if there's a need. I can't guarantee we can do everything for you, but we'll do our best to help where we can. So make sure you reach out to us via phone, 802-823-7828, or you can, again, email us, faithchurchvt at gmail.com. Whatever way is easiest for you to be able to connect, because we want to be able to help you where we can, all right? For those of us who uh, are maybe on the other side of the equation, we're in a position where we can give, and I pray that we all get to that point, because giving generously, one, is what we're called to in Jesus, but two, is really, really, uh, I think, kind of fun when you can do that, when you can bless somebody and just be a part of their lives in a way that, that, uh, that you might not have otherwise could is really enriching, really rewarding. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't had an opportunity to give yet this week, that you do so here. Uh, all the money that you give goes back into the community. We have a slate of events that you'll find out on the annual business meeting that we're looking to do. All of it pours back in the community and it all comes from your generosity, all right? Whether you're here in person or online, you can give two easy ways. One, you can give in person with the baskets or uh, even in person as well or online, you can give at faithchurchvt.com. Press the give button. That's all there is to it. We have a recurring giving. I don't even have to think about it. It just goes and uh, I can kind of budget around that. So uh, make sure you know that so you're aware of that option. And uh, as we jump into 2022, ready to bless this community in bigger and better ways than ever before. All right. That's I guess, that's I get. That's all I got. I got my giving out. We got everything else taken care of. We're going to roll into what we're here to do. We're here in a new series each and every week. We've been working through the chapter, uh, the the Gospel of Mark, each chapter, each week, sixteen week journey, and uh, it's called Living with Jesus, right? And we're hoping that as we're launching into this, as we're getting into the teachings, the life, the miracles, the encounters with Jesus and those that interacted with Him, that we're going to not just listen to history, but immerse ourselves in it and let it. Uh, be a jumping off point for the rest of the week as we allow ourselves to be shaped by him and these stories that we're hearing, all right? So let's briefly, briefly, briefly recap. In week one, we're introduced to Jesus by Mark, the writer of this uh, gospel, and we see Jesus walking onto the scene at a river to be baptized by this crazy guy named John, right? There's thousands of other people around, and Jesus is just one of the crowd. But something separates him as he is baptized, as he is under the water and pops back up. Heaven opens, the voice of God speaks down, blessing Jesus directly. And then he begins to go out and to preach and to teach all over, making this incredible claim that the kingdom of God was coming. That he was carrying forward God's rescue operation for the whole world. He was going to restore all things to the way they were in the beginning of time by confronting evil, by releasing bonds, by breaking its hold over people and inviting them to live under God's rule by following him. 
It was this incredibly bold statement early on in his life that forced people to ask, who is Jesus, right? We wrestle with that question ourselves in week one. Last week, we began looking at how Mark answers that question for us or starts to fill in the blanks, and we talked about Jesus' claim of authority, right? That in him was the full authority of heaven, the right to rule and reign over all things in heaven and earth. And he exercised that authority through teaching, through miracles, and through one defining right that really caused a lot of controversy, and it was the forgiveness of sins. And the forgiving of sins, uh, we we mentioned last week in the paralytic, as, as he was laid down in front of Jesus, and Jesus didn't heal him first. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. And when he did that, he was making this bold claim that he wasn't just like God, but that he was God in flesh, right? Because they knew at the time that only God could forgive sins. So when Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven, they said, man, he, he is claiming to be God. And so they wrestled and we wrestled with this question of, is Jesus really God? And if he is, what does that mean for us? That changes everything, how we worship, what we do. All of our lives are affected by answering that question. Is he the God, the only one? Not one God, not one way to God, but the God himself in flesh. This week, we jump into chapter three of Mark to see what questions turn up this time. But before we do that, we got some discussion to go through as we always do. So I got a question for you that I want you to ask and answer amongst yourselves online as well. And we'll have a great discussion with this, I hope. Can you recall a time when you made up your mind and were determined to do something no matter how bad it might turn out? All right, think about a time in your life where you're like, I'm going to do this. I don't care what happens. I'm dead set that this is what's going to happen right here, right now, no matter how bad it might turn out. All right, so think about that and discuss it with each other. Ask of each other. And we're going to come back in five online to do the same thing. And we'll meet back here in just five minutes. All right. <laughs>
<clears throat> I'm delayed in getting to my post here. Sorry about that. All right. If you want to be warm, by the way, I guess is the cafe warm right now? It's warmer, right? Because my wife is in a full coat over there, right? Awesome. All right. So the question, <laughs> I'm interested to see where this goes this morning, was can you recall a time when you made up your mind and where you were determined to do something no matter how bad it might turn out? All right. Anybody got a story for me this week? Or maybe not necessarily the whole story, but a partial story of that in your life where you're so determined, but you were just going to go through it no matter what? Moving to Vermont. <laughs> Moving to Vermont. All right. There you go. And here we are. <laughs> Anybody else? Rich, starting his own business. Determined no matter what. What you got, Marin? Smoking in the Monte Carlo. Ah, darn. Man. That sounds like a song. You can make a song out of that, Marin. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anybody else? Those are good. I tell you what, I wrestled with this question this week. And if we have any online, let me know. Feel free. And sometimes with the longer questions, it's tough to answer in them short bursts. So I wrestled with this one this week. Um, <clears throat> I will readily admit that I am incredibly stubborn. I put at times here, but I think it's all the time. <laughs> I think I'm stubborn all the time. Uh, and it, sometimes it works to my advantage, right, in the form of perseverance. We're like, I'm going to stick through this no matter what. I'm just going to push through, and I, no matter what happens, no matter how bad it seems, I'm going to get through it. But more often than not, it works against me. <laughs> uh, and I was trying to think through this question about, and, and Walt and I were discussing about, just it's hard to pick one time uh, how, to, how to answer this, but I was trying to answer this question this week, and I was thinking back, and I could think of a few good stories, but nothing really fit the way I wanted, so I, I thought, what better way <clears throat> to help me remember, and who better to help me remember the times that my stubbornness has got me into trouble than my wife, right? So I went home and, that afternoon, and I asked her, because she's great, at remembering things, all right? You ever have that person in your life that can remember everything you ever did? Yes, good and bad, right? It's like, yeah, all right, I know if I ever forget, I just need to ask that one person. My wife is that one person in my life, right? So I went back home and asked her. And needless to say, it took all of about, I don't know, 0.5 seconds for her to come up with a lot of examples. And so we had to narrow it down uh, to one that, uh, that I'll tell you this morning. We lived in North Carolina for a long time. About thir I lived there 13 years. She grew up there her whole life. I grew up in Southern Georgia. So where we were in North Carolina to where I grew up, it's about eight hours, eight and a half hour trip. And so that's just far enough away where you got to make like a full day out of the trip, right? Especially with the kids. And uh, so we would plan these trips out and we would go, you know, every, I don't know, three, four months, maybe every six months and, uh, and visit family in Georgia and take this trip back and forth. And, uh, you know, the more kids we had, the longer the trip seemed to get, and the more anxious I was, like, I'm just ready to get back to North Carolina after we visited family, right? And uh, at that distance, there's always a debate about what time to head back, right? So if you're doing like a 16-hour trip, you know, it's like, all right, you know you're going to have to break it up or whatever. But at eight hours, it's like, well, if you leave early enough, you can get back home, right? You can back at home early. You can unpack. You can have the, the rest of the day to unwind. You don't have to be coming back at dark. It's like, that works out, right? Yeah, they're shaking your heads. Yes. So, uh, so that always, was always the debate. We should just leave early. Well, my wife... It's not a morning person, God bless her soul, right? And she's here this morning for one of the first times, so she's getting the full experience. She was, she's not a morning person. Uh, most of my kids aren't great in the morning. Some are better than others, but most of them aren't great. And so we had this discussion, this one trip of like, well, we should leave early. We should leave at like six in the morning so we can get back at like two in the afternoon, right? This makes sense. Plenty of time. If I have to go to work the next day, I can get it all done, right? And so uh, she was like, this is no good. This does, I, I'm not good in the morning. The kids won't be good because they're really younger at the time. The kids won't be good in the morning. We got to get them up and they'll be half asleep. You got to put them in car seats, like sleepy and cranky and all this is going to be bad. Just, just, just wait. And I said, no. I said, we're going to leave so we can get back early, right? This is what we're going to do. Now, I believe this particular trip, and she can correct me and probably will if I'm wrong, uh, that we had our two oldest children. We didn't have the rest, just two. So it's, it's just two kids. It's a big deal, right? Uh, so I considered it no, just a small thing to ask my wife and kids, let's just go. Let's just go at six. So 
She tells me it's a bad idea. I say, it doesn't matter. We're going to go anyway. It's going to be worth it. So I made up my mind, no matter what, we're plugging, pledging through this thing. We're going to do it. So the three of them grudgingly comply the morning of our departure. They're getting up. Not great. We're getting up and, and getting rolling and getting everybody in the vehicle. And uh, eventually, probably still later than I wanted to, we all got in and we got out to head out about you know, roughly six in the morning. And I was excited. I was like, great. We've, we, we're here. We're doing this. It's happening. We're going to get there at like two. It's going to be perfect. And so uh, we're riding along and it didn't take very long at all before my great plan started to fall apart. Um, my wife and my oldest began to get sick, and I don't mean kind of yucky, you know, like, oh, I feel a little yucky, maybe we should, you know, just, just drink a little something and eat a little something, you'll feel better. I mean, sick, like, stop on the side of the road, sick, right? You ever been there, or maybe your family or you have, like, I can't, can't this can't wait, you got, this, you got to pause, right, in the trip, and, uh, and, and not just once, but several times, throughout the morning on our way back up. So we had to stop, and then we had to go, and then we had to stop, and then we had to go. And when we finally arrived home, it was well after the time that I had hoped that we would arrive by leaving early. We should, if we left at the, the, the normal time, around 8 or 9, we would have been there before we left this morning because of all the sickness. So, uh, yeah. We haven't had many early morning starts since then. It's kind of been, we'll just leave later when everybody feels like we're ready to go. There's no rush. But that time I was determined, and I'd made up my mind. There's no other opinion that could sway me, and it costs me and them as well. This morning, I want us to turn together. So if you have your Bible or a Bible app, we're going to turn to Mark 3, verses 1 through 6. We're going to encounter another story in the life of Jesus where we find a group of stubborn people who were losing a lot more than time. All right, so if you have your Bible, if you don't, it's going to be up on the screen. But if you have your Bible app, Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, we're going to kind of piecemeal through. So we're starting verse 1, and let's dive into the life of Jesus together as we find out where he's at today and how it fits in our lives. It says, again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. As always, let's set the scene. Let's get into the, get into the moment. Don't move past this. Mark is setting the scene here. It's Saturday. It's Sabbath day in Jewish culture, right? The day where all good Jews ceased work completely. They attended a local synagogue and they just rested, right? Jesus, being a good Jew, is living out the practice of that day. Uh, and so he goes to the synagogue as well. Now, we don't know how big this synagogue was, but it would have been crowded. And Jesus's presence, because at this point, he's already a popular dude, is not going to go unnoticed. So Mark says that he entered again. You'll notice that again, right? So back in chapter one, he enters. And uh, we, re- we remember that Mark records Jesus doing that and that he visits the, the synagogue to exercise his authority through teaching, right? So he was teaching and the people said, man, this guy has so much authority, right? He's teaching differently than anything we've ever heard. You see, you know, Jesus didn't do things on an accident, right? Or on a whim, Right. He knew Sabbath, the Saturday, the, the, this, this, this moment, this day is special. He knew the place, the synagogue, the center of religious life was a, was a special place in the life of his people. And when you read chapter 2, you see Mark leading us up to this moment, right, where, where Jesus is having these encounters with, with people who are for him and people who are against him. All of Mark chapter 2 is really a building to a, a confrontational climax with these people who are, are against Jesus, these religious leaders, right? They saw themselves, if you remember last week, as defenders of the right way to worship God. And Jesus was a threat. Every system they believed in, their way of living, everything, Jesus was a threat to that. But Jesus doesn't run away from confrontation, but he meets it head on. And so he enters the synagogue that day, just as he did the previous time, to meet that confrontation on their turf. He didn't even wait for them to come to him. He took it straight to their home turf and said, all right, we're going to do this. I'm going to prove and say who I am, and we're going to work out the rest here together. So he enters the room. He surveys the room. He sees the eyes of the leaders on him, and then he noticed another man, one with a withered hand, right? Mark doesn't record exactly what the man's condition is or how it happened, but his presence there is no coincidence. You see, in those days, to have a disability was seen as a curse from God. It was a punishment for something done by the person or by the parents. Most of those who were disabled were seen as like social and religious pariahs, right? They were were the outcasts. There was something not right between them and God, the thinking went. And so they they were segregated. They were living on the margins of acceptable society. 
Now, it may have been unusual for someone like this man to even be allowed in the synagogue, but verse 2 kind of clues us into maybe why he was there. So let's read verse 2 together. It says, And they watched Jesus, the religious leaders, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. Some believe this man here with the withered hand was a plant by the religious leaders to trap Jesus. But others say it might not have been. Maybe it was just, you know, happened to happen this way. But they saw this as an opportunity, right? They wanted to test Jesus to see how far would he take this authority that he claimed that he had. I imagine the scene, kind of like a Western movie. I love Western movies and Western books. I don't know if you've ever seen, maybe it was one of those old John Wayne movies or uh, Clint Eastwood movies, right? Where the guy, the good guy walks into the, the saloon, right? And he kicks open that door and he steps in and all the bad guys are sitting around tables and they're all just drinking. But as soon as he steps in, all eyes are on that guy, right? And he's watching them and they're watching him and it's kind of going back and forth and he kind of creeps up to the bar and he sits down. Everybody's just waiting for the next thing to happen, right? I love those scenes. That's kind of what I'm imagining here is happening with Jesus. Jesus is watching the leaders, all right? They're watching him, eyeing him. Here's, here's this man here in the middle, the man with the withered hand of like realizing that he's in caught in this thing that's much bigger than him, but he's here and he's like, well, I guess I'm going to stay and see what happens, right? They're watching and waiting. By this point, everyone knew that Jesus could heal. They'd seen it happen frequently, but what they wanted to know was, would he do it on a Sabbath? Because if he did, they could begin to build this legal case against him. They, they could have him like discredited. They could just start spreading these rumors about him because he's doing things that are against the, the law of the day, right? Or worse, they could have him killed. Now, the seriousness of this probably eludes us a bit because every day is kind of the same to us, right? But remember back to our Sabbath discussions, right? In Jesus' day, this was a day that was very serious. There was no work at all to be done. Not even something that looked like work, okay? Certain sects even believe that it, that it was wrong to even save the life of a man or an animal on the Sabbath. So if someone was dying and it was Sabbath day, leave it alone. If God wanted to heal him or save him, they would, he would do it on his own. You don't do anything with it. That's how serious they were about not even having a semblance of work done on this day. And to defy those rules was really to, was seen to defy God himself. This is serious. Jesus was no dummy. He knew this. So would he heal the man and give them the right to accuse him? Or not? So sitting here watching, what's going to happen? Mark 3, 3, Jesus says this. He said to the man with the withered hand, come here. You see, Jesus saw the trap he had laid. He knew the game they were playing. He could have walked out. Or he could have sat there through the whole thing and waited till the next day and healed the guy on a, on a Sunday or a Monday. But he didn't. He calls the man to the center of the room. He did this for three reasons. One, to let the man choose to admit his need and to let Jesus be the one to meet it. Two, to continue to build his case as Messiah, right? As the savior he claimed to be. And three, to demonstrate the value system of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God that he's claiming to, to bring in? What is this about? How does this look? So the man walks up to Jesus, the center of everyone's attention, right? And by placing him in the center, Mark is inviting us to examine this person and this situation from two points of view here. First, the religious leaders, right? To him, this man sitting in the center with a withered hand, to them, this guy was nothing. He was a man they knew and a man they shunned. All he was good for was to be a pawn in this social, religious, political game they were involved in. The second point of view is from Jesus' eyes. Here stood a man before him that was perceived by others as valueless. Cursed as something less than human. But to Jesus, he was a prize, a person created in the image of God that had been marred physically and socially, and it was in need of healing, of forgiveness, and of love. So let's see what he does. Mark 3, 4. He said to them, the leaders, he said, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. As Jesus always did, he flips the situation on them. They were trying to trap him, to accuse him, and now he puts it right back on them, right? The tested becomes the tester. And he gave them a question that was meant to expose not their perception of the law, right? This isn't a law question. This isn't like, oh, should we do good or should we not do good according to the law? That was not what it was about. It was a question meant to expose their heart. 
He wanted to, see, to get them to see beyond their rules and their mere religion, to see the man with the eyes of compassion and empathy, to see Jesus himself also, not as an enemy, but as their rightful king. He's saying, what do you see in this man? What do you see in me? That's what this situation was about. Remember, Jesus is making a statement here. The Sabbath was more than just a day of rest. It was a day that pointed to the time of ultimate fulfillment, Right? The whole point of taking a Sabbath rest was to look forward to the day when God comes back and all of heaven invades earth fully, and you're living in a day of perpetual rest. That's what heaven is, essentially. And so what the Sabbath was was a day that pointed to that day of the kingdom come to earth, right? Where bonds of oppression are broken. There were times of joy and celebration, feasting and resting are happening in continual uh, motion with the provision and the rule of God. And by healing this man, Jesus was about to make a political and a spiritual messianic statement that he is the beginning of what the Sabbath looked forward to. And by accepting as who he claimed to be, they would be opening their eyes and hearts to seeing not only Jesus as who he was, but seeing this man who was in pain physically and socially to be brought home as Jesus wanted him to be. But if they rejected Jesus, they also rejected the man. You see, this all plays together. It's, it's very intricate what's happening here. We kind of glaze through it. It's just tell a story about healing somebody. No, there's a lot going on here, right? They're seeing Jesus, where they accept Jesus as righteous king, and so see the man who they perceived as cursed now as one who deserves empathy and not to be shunned, not to be an outcast. Will they accept them both or will they reject them both and continue to, to live as they perceived they needed to live. A lot of stuff going on here. You see, our vertical relationship with God has a direct effect on our horizontal relationship with others. All right? The more we distance ourselves from Jesus, from our need of a Savior, from our trusting dependence on Him, the much easier it is to start distancing ourselves from each other. Much easier. What I love about the Gospel of Mark, and especially this story, is it invites us in as third parties, objective people, just reading a story about people far off. But then it pulls us into different perspectives. Who are we in this situation? Again, we talk about this often. Who are we when we read these stories out? And I don't think, I know I don't, uh, often see myself as the bad guys, right? We perceive and see the Pharisees are in the wrong. Jesus is in the right. We generally agree and see that. But we don't see ourselves as these blind religious leaders doing. Man, we are so much like them. We are, if we're being honest. You see, the leaders were content with a kingdom they had created. It wasn't perfect, but it was theirs. They knew the rules, they knew the words, they knew the players. And for them, it was us and those who followed and believed like us, and it was them, those outside of ourselves. And to step outside of that was just was dangerous in their minds because that means they had to give up control. And just like them, we fall into that same pattern, right? Setting up these little half heavens that we live in, right? These pseudo heavens, these little kingdoms where we rule, where, where those that think like us, act like us, vax or unvax like us, share the same politics as us, those are allowed in and everyone else is out. They're the other. We even think, I believe, I do, that we're doing the right thing. That maybe we're even worshiping God the right way, right? Not even realizing how far we've gotten away from Him. And in the process, how far we've distanced ourselves from each other. We often, as they would do, cherry pick the words of Jesus. Denying His authority that demands that it's all or nothing and no in between, right? Jesus says, be radically generous. We say, yeah, but, you know, after the bills are paid and, you know, the, the cable and the internet and the gym membership and the two cars and the streaming, streaming subscriptions, all that stuff, then I can be radically generous. Jesus says, forgive those that hate and hurt you. And we have to say, but I have to protect myself first, right? Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And we say, who is our neighbor, Really? See, the more we dictate the game and how it's played, the more we dehumanize those we don't agree with. We don't see 
each other as people created in the image of God, we see opponents that are either with us or against us. And Jesus was inviting them that day into heaven. He's saying, I want you to see this man. I want you to see me not as an enemy, but as a remaking of your whole reality, really. I've seen the kingdom come, heaven to earth. And what was their response? It says, but they were silent. Silent. The word silence in the Greek there means more than just quiet. It just didn't mean that they were like, hmm, I don't know how to answer this question, Jesus. This is a hard one, right? That's not what it means. It means a determined, continued silence. Not the silence of one who has nothing to say, but the quiet rebellion of one refused to be convinced. They had made up their minds before Jesus had even asked the question. They knew who the man was, they knew who Jesus was, and they weren't willing to change anything about that. They made up their minds. When we read this, we have to ask ourselves, have we? Have we done the same thing? Mark continues with this just vulnerable look into the heart of Jesus and really the heart of God himself. Mark 3, verse 5, Jesus says this, or Mark says this, that Jesus says. He says, and he looked around at them. Remember, go back to that scene, looking. I love the way Mark does this. He's looking at the people. He's looking at the leaders. And this time it's with anger, with righteous anger. And he says, he was grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, so he looks from them, he grieved at the hardness of heart. He looks at the man, he says, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and the hand restored immediately at his word. You see, Jesus wasn't playing a game. He wasn't trying to win an argument. He wasn't trying to trap them and make them feel bad or to, or to, to prove he was right in a way that was going to demean them. He wanted to restore them, Right? He was trying to open their eyes to the truth that he was the one who, uh, the, the, who was what he claimed to be and what that meant for every part of their lives. And, and by denying that his, his righteous kingship over them, his authority to rule over their lives, to, to show them what heaven really looked like, to, to have the, uh, the man in the center viewed with empathy and respect and compassion, by denying that, they were, they were missing out on a real relationship with God and with that man, both, because they had to be right. They couldn't see past their noses. Jesus' response is so powerful, so poignant. He was angry at them. It was just this righteous anger. That anger kind of burns against injustice. That anger that you get whenever you see someone who's abused or in an abusive situation. That anger that you get when you see someone who's trapped by alcohol or by uh, uh, poisoning their bodies and minds and can't get out of it. That anger that you see where people are subject to these things and you're like, get out. You're not mad at them. You're mad at the situation and the fact that they just can't seem to be released from it. Or maybe they're subject to it. They're imprisoned by it. Maybe they're just afflicted by that and you want to see them come out. It's righteous anger. It was grieved, he says, that in their pride and their self-pity, they were ignoring the very heart of God, the, the mercy and grace that God brings and he calls us to bring in our lives. That word grieve there conveys a sense of, of deep disappointment. So like a, a parent to a child is what, he's, what that word grieve there means in the Greek. Deeply disappointed. Maybe you've been there as a parent where you want your child to make the right choice, right? And instead they willfully choose the opposite. I test like every day of my life, right? Can you imagine yourself in that moment when it's the big things, not just like, oh, you should have really had a better breakfast, but big things in their lives. And it's like, man, that's, I'm so disappointed in you. It was a better choice. It was, it was a good choice. And you missed it. And now you're going to suffer. Deep disappointment, parental disappointment. That's what Jesus is experiencing here when it says he grieved. I imagine Jesus going through these emotions, right? He's angry at their lack of mercy and their stubborn pride. Then he has this soul-piercing wave of disappointment when he realizes that they're just not going to get it. They're just not going to get it. They were hardened of heart, it said, right? He said he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. That's a common biblical phrase used to mean a heart so calcified it just can't be softened, right? And the only remedy for a hard heart is to break it apart. 
You see, they had made up their minds, just only their minds, but they had made up their whole being. Inside and out was resolutely against Jesus. There was no way they were allowing him to convince them otherwise. It stands in sharp contrast, right, to the man who's sitting at the center of this experience. He's sitting here, he's knowing that he's, again, part of a bigger situation that he doesn't understand, but he has a soft heart. He's ready to accept Jesus for who he was. He was willing to step into the center of the room with all eyes on him and say, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know you feel before, and I'm ready to believe and trust in who you are and what that means for my life, and that means being restored back to the way I was supposed to be. I was robbed of something. You're going to give it back because only you can, Jesus. His heart was ready to receive Christ. So when Jesus says, stretch out his hand, he says, here it is. And it's restored just like that. Soft heart of the man, the hard heart of the leaders. And Jesus at the center. Mark kind of moves us past quickly. He says, it's no surprise that Jesus can heal here, right? That's proven. We've already got that. The bigger focus becomes the conflict between Jesus and those that reject him. So the leaders they're all about rejected him. Verse 6 says this, the Pharisees, who were the leaders there watching this whole event, they said they went out and they immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. And that didn't just mean how to make him look bad in the eyes of the public. That meant to kill him. They plotted to kill him. Mark chapter 3, by the way. Let's get our context. Mark 3, the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. It's going to take another uh, 13 chapters to get to where he is killed. But here in the very beginning, Mark is already planting the seeds that there's people who are for Jesus and accept and believe and follow and are restored and experience heaven on earth and the people who are outright against Jesus and nothing is going to change their minds. Silent responses and hard hearts. We said last week that the answer to the question of is Jesus really God will change how and who we worship, right? That we won't have to do Jesus and karma, Jesus and all these other things. It's just Jesus because he is enough, right? But what we, what we also find here is how that changes how we relate to one another, right? Like the leaders, we're content to live with a half heaven with us in charge. But what Jesus is offering is all of heaven. When we trust and follow him, right? When we take up his authority, when we take up his offer of authority and over our lives, we're called to not only radically reorient our relationship with him, but to each other as well. He invites us in to see the outcasts as part of us. Not as a problem, right? To see the disabled as gifts and not accidents. To see children as blessings and not burdens. To see people who hold a differing opinion as worthy of respect and not the enemy. The question becomes, just like the, the leaders in that moment, how will we respond? Silently, with heart to heart, and saying, no, those are out there, right? I, I, I want to live in my little kingdom with my truths and my, my beliefs, and I don't take all of your authority, Jesus, so I'll live in here, and they can stay outside, or we say, you are it. You are God. You are the God. You have a full authority on my life, and everything you say, do, and, and tell me to do, I'm going to do it. And in doing so, we start to see people who are outside be brought in. How hard-hearted, how predetermined in mind and spirit are you? Are we this morning? Are we open to a real honest conversation with Jesus about who he is and what he's asking of us? And are we ready to begin opening doors to those we disagree with and inviting them in instead of shutting them out? You see the the questions are interconnected. The horizontal relationship, or sorry, the vertical relationship and the horizontal one are interconnected. How much we accept Jesus is how much we accept others. So how we answer these questions are interconnected as well. Will we respond to Christ in this moment as the Pharisees did? Or not? If you're a seeker this morning, First, I want to thank you for spending your morning with us. What I love about the opportunity this cafe is going to present to us, and already did, uh, yesterday was a great example, was that we're getting to see people in our community, our very own community, who hold very different perspectives, very different beliefs, very, live a very different life, and we can have honest conversations with one another. And so maybe you're a seeker and you're like, well, I don't quite know where I am on Jesus. 
I like the story. I kind of like who he is, but I don't fully understand what you're talking about maybe, or maybe I don't fully accept and believe everything you're saying. So I want to keep you here. I want to, I want to invite you to keep coming back, right? So if you're just asking questions, uh, that's a heart that is ready to, to at least start to perceive new things. It's not just closed off, right? So I want you to continue to come and be a part. Ask those hard questions, right? Ask those things that seem ridiculous and that you would never ask anybody. Be a part of a community like us who are, are willing uh, or are afraid, uh, rather, to be able to have those things asked. To come in with a totally different perspective and let's talk about it. How does Jesus interact with you and challenge you and change you as it has us? But if you are here this morning, and you're like, man, I am the, that, those leaders, those Pharisees and scribes. I, I am those people who have, who have had a hard heart. But today, I'm tired of living a life that's, that divides my family. I'm tired of living a life that divides me politically and socially. And I have to stay so far away from people, maybe not even physically, but so far away from them socially that when we're talking, I can't talk about certain things or I can't do certain things around them. And we're just kind of living way out here. And I'm tired of that. It's a game I'm done playing. And I pray that you understand the only way that changes is by starting with Jesus first, by accepting his invitation to have your heart broke apart, to invite him in and say, I want you in charge of me. Whatever you say goes. And to be like you, to live like you, to invite others in who are seen as an outsider and to be able to sit with them and talk and live a life that's full and restored and not just half a life. Now, if that's you and you're ready to receive him, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a minute. For believers, though, I think Jesus' message here is especially challenging for us this morning. Man, I think it's so challenging because we're without excuse. All right. I can meet people who don't know Jesus. And whenever they tell, say certain things or at certain ways to people or, or have, you know, this anger and this, this, this thing about them that kind of puts them at distance with others, I can understand where that comes from. All right. Because if you don't know who Jesus is, you don't have a reason to love your neighbor. You have, you might want to, but as soon as they do something wrong, you have, well, I don't care. Let me put them out of my life. But Jesus says, no, you got to love them anyway. And so if that's not in your life, then, then that, that's not driving you to love others. But when you have Jesus, where were that excuse? I don't have a reason to say, I don't want to, I don't want to love my neighbor. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter what I want anymore. <laughs> That's not about what it is, right? So we're that excuse. So I think Jesus's message here just really just nailed me this week. Because we're the ones who at one point have made a decision to go all in with Jesus. And, he all, and what he asks of us is recognizing that without him we're lost, right? Just like everyone else that we meet <laughs> in this world is. And once we made that decision, say, I'm all in on you, the, 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 the temptation is to fall into the trap of the Pharisees where we begin to see the world as us and them, right? Where we, try, we say, well, I do the right things, or I worship God the right way, or I know Jesus, and you don't. And we can fall in this trap where we start to uh, put, put people at a distance because they don't do things the right way or say the right things, whatever that is to create these categories, these, these tribal systems. And so we have to strive to keep our heart soft, right? It's a daily struggle for me. When I see someone I don't agree with or says something that's really off the wall, my first temptation is to say, you're, you're either crazy or I'm not. If I see it, and I maybe I'm interacting with them. Maybe I see it online. I'm like, well, check that person off the list of people I want to talk to today. <laughs> that's the first thing I do. But Jesus said, that's exactly the person we need to be engaged with. We've got to strive to keep our heart soft. And be reminded constantly, Paul wrote to the church in Galatians 3.28, he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, <laughs> there is neither slave nor free, there's no male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. You see, the church can be one of the most divisive places, can it? You can come in here, or online, we can hold radically different opinions, and sometimes over the trivialist uh, of religious things, and that allows us to start splitting. We say, well, I don't agree with that part, so I'm going to go over here. Well, I don't agree with that part, so I'm going to go over here. And we wind up with like 40 different people in 40 different directions, all claiming to know and love Jesus, but not loving each other. <laughs> Paul says, There's, that's not how this works. You're all one in Jesus. But we live it. We have no excuse. John wrote to the church as well, 1 John 4, 20. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, <laughs> he's a liar. 
says John, right? For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This week, what I hope we do as we seek to live with Jesus is to lead through his example by the power of his spirit to respect, to love, and to forgive one another inside the church and out. And to join uh, and invite others rather to join in with us as we practice that. To be different as Jesus was different. Love and forgive.